Welcome to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. Your host, Andrew Clark, is joined by heavy hitters Paul Gover and Bruce Williams. Time to get down and dirty. It comes down to whether or not they're prepared to play the same game as him. You jump in the pool with the shark. Oh, I didn't know he was going to bite my foot off. Hello and welcome back to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. We're going to wrap up the weekend that featured a cancelled Formula One race and a supercar weekend in Tasmania, plus a few other motorsport things. And to help me unwrap the weekend are two of the best in the game, Bruce Williams and Paul Gover. Welcome, guys. Welcome. I guess we're going to start off with Chicago Land NASCAR because it's coming up fast. We can do hips on that. I was going to say, Andrew, and by the way, I think you're pretty... You, you go all right too, mate, so don't just include Gover and I in your... Your big pump up, you go. Okay. I'll go okay. So, yeah, it was Tasmania. I see the back of the head on the. Uh... No, no, Tassie was great, actually. I love going to Tassie. It's, um, I haven't been there for a decade, so it was good to go back down there and just standing up on that um, the, the hill looking over turn three. It's a great spot to watch motor racing from in this country. You can see everything but the hairpin. It's, it's a great place. I think if Simmons Plains was on the mainland, I think it'd be one of our most popular tracks. It's, it's a short little track. It appears not to be too interesting and too technical, but it's one of the most demanding tracks. Absolutely. Because the, particularly in a category like supercars where the cars are so even and the times are so close, you've only got to make the slightest little mistake and you go from being at the pointy end to nowhere. And, of course, um, the other beauty, yeah. beautiful thing for, uh, for uh, supercars is twice as many people go to Simmons Plains as to any other event. Oh, that's a bit naughty. I was about to say that the good thing about Simmons Plains is that like it's like going back in time, Bruce. It hasn't changed at all. Still got the sheep out the back, which is always popular with the New Zealand fans. One of the interesting <laughs> things too was they really couldn't care at Toss either. They were not the slightest bit interested. They were more interested in grazing on that beautiful, lush Tasmanian grass. One thing I did notice, Andrew, and you're a football fan, um, you would have enjoyed the opportunity to go to the football on Saturday night with your team playing uh, down there over the weekend. What the hell's going on when the AFL and supercars can't work out the fact that they're, you know, once a year they go to Tasmania and six or eight times of football goes there, why would they go there on the same weekend? It made everything expensive, airfares, accommodation, everything. But why would they do it and not play the game on a Saturday night so the people who went to the car racing could go to the game? Because it's too cold? Huh? They got lights at the ground? No, it's been fine. They're just no, they haven't built that new stadium yet, Bruce. I was having a chat to Shane Howard about that on the uh, on the grid on Sunday, and I said, "What the?" And he said, "Well, the AFL just do what they do." While all this rabbiting on about dates and things, did you notice over the weekend the British Touring Car Championship had just announced their calendar for 2024? When did ours come out um, for the 2023 season? I think it just just snuck inside Christmas presents, didn't it? Yeah, but hang on, guys. Let's be brutally honest. Things are a little bit easier to negotiate and organise in, in um, England. I mean, most of their tracks aren't any more than about 150 miles away from each other. They only run on traditional race circuits. I don't want to sound like I'm defending supercars because I'm not, but it does take a little bit of negotiation, particularly when you're trying to get races in other countries and you know, supercars are relying on other people paying for their racing, and that obviously has an impact. Yeah, which is, which is why they always put the race in, on in Sydney and they wonder why they don't get a crowd because it's in the middle of winter. Well, the other thing is too, they don't like to let their calendar out too early because the punters and the support category people might get the jump on booking accommodation, which that would spoil the whole show, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
No, 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 because what the hotels then do, Bruce, is they cancel your reservation if you happen to have a date and then they put them back up again at double the price. And I know that because I know a couple of people have had that happen to them for, for events in the last couple of years. Well, you do what uh, Bernie Eccleston did with the Hungarian Grand Prix, and when he found out people were gouging, he, ca- he booked every hotel for the next weekend in Budapest and cancelled that one and moved the race a week. Clever man. <laughs> so was it a good event, though? It was a great event. It was a um, big crowd, good crowd. It had a nice feel to it. Plenty of action, uh, as we always get on that short track. So, yeah, it was good to be back there and... Uh, yeah, it's a great track for these supercars. Now, you, you, you mentioned that you were talking to Shane Howard on the grid, and I couldn't help but notice there was a couple of people you wouldn't have been able to talk to while you were wandering around on the grid. In fact, there was a couple of key players missing in action, but the other bloke that you would have struggled to find on the grid, particularly in that last race on Sunday afternoon, was uh, SVG, who I noticed was hiding or leaning up against the far side of the concrete wall on the pit straight. Yes. He's yes. obviously not wanting to interact with his public. Has oh, he ever? Oh, I don't know. No, never, never. I would have thought he might have had a smile on his face given that he'd had the big announcement of going to Chicago. Coming over to catch up with you, Andrew. No, no, I think hey, uh, let's see if you can get him on the grid in Chicago. Yeah, I know. That'll be funny. One. I think that Gisberg is going to see me turn up to a media conference over there and he's going to go, oh, shit. Another bloke <laughs> I won't be talking to. <laughs> All right, let's have a break and we'll come back. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Welcome back. Let's have a chat about Tassie and what we learnt from Tasmania. And unfortunately, we have to talk about parody again. Do you know why? Because there is none. Yeah, but there were little clusters of people all standing around and they kept looking at each other like this. So there was um, Adrian Burgess and Cam a little over that side. There was Tim Edwards and a couple of Ford people over that side. And they're all giving each other sideways glances as they're having their conversations. These little clusters all over the paddock area talking about parody. And because... It ain't there. Yes, it would appear now that the argument is very much the fact that the, the Chevy have an advantage. There's absolutely no doubt about that. If you look at the performance of the front six cars pretty much all weekend, the two Erebus Coke cars were right there all weekend and Shane and um, and Brock were there all weekend in the Triple Eight cars and then you had the remarkable performance and and not unprecedented. It comes up to them. Matt Stone Racing. And Jack LeBrock was fast there last year, so yeah. that wasn't that much of a surprise. But they were consistently fast. It wasn't just one session and one race. No. They yeah. were there or thereabouts all weekend. Now, it tells us that a team that used to run at the back of the field are now capable of running just off the podium, which is pretty impressive for them. They're doing a great job. But teams like Tickford and you've got guys like Cam Waters who are – Let's face it, they're overdriving the car yep. to try and get a lap time out of it. Yeah. I mean, Cam to his, God bless his little cotton socks, he did stuff up a little bit uh, <laughs> during two qualifying sessions when he managed to run into the back of, of one of the shell cars, not once but twice, which was pretty impressive. And then he blew the tyres off it, I think, trying to keep up with the uh, Chevys. Yeah, so it's interesting. So all, all of the data comes out and they all you can see at the moment is sporting data. 
So all we can see is results. We can see spreadsheets on who's done this or whatever. We're not seeing engine outputs. We're not seeing maps from engines or anything along those lines. So on the sporting well, data... that's not true. That's not true because Larco on the weekend had data traces in the Hino Hub. He was talking about... No, but he had data traces of last year's car and this yeah, year's correct, car. correct, but they can get data. I think they get what they're allowed. I don't think they would get the cold, hard, factual, here's a, here's a Ford and here's a... Here's a, a Chevy data. I mean, they managed to get Peter Brock's 1993 VN Commodore Group A data and overlay <laughs> that against one of SVG's ZB Commodores or whatever it was. But, yeah, I don't think they're allowed to have too much data because if they did, Larco would be even more valve bouncing. He was, God bless him. He can't help but wear that blue oval on his heart, can he? He's still, you know... Sporting thing. Okay, so where does the argument lie when it comes to sporting parity? So one of the conversations I had uh, with one of the team owners said, the one thing you can't measure on sporting data is what's the driver input. So as you said, how hard is Cam Waters driving to actually get that time out of the car? And then how hard is he driving it during the race? And he's cooking a little beast. It's just not coping because he's driving its ring off while... Brody and Will would drive around with their elbow. I reckon if they didn't have windows, Perspex, Lex and windows in those things, there'd be an elbow on the the door. I reckon you're right. I reckon maybe what we need to do for the next round is make sure that for more than 40% of every lap, the Chevy drivers have to rest their their right (laughs) elbow on the door sill. What do you reckon, PG? I think that's a really good idea. It's got and it's got the Brock throwback thing to it as well. Elbow up, yeah, rocking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so forty percent of the lap, they've got to have their elbow up on the window. They can't touch the steering wheel. And what we can do is get them to get oh, one of those little forklift, little forklift <laughs> knob, and they have to drive like that. I think that'd be good because it appears to me that the Ford guys are racing with one hand tied behind their back. So yeah. maybe we need to bring a bit of balance into it. I think you're right. And Charlie, Charlie at Team AD, he'll be able to get those forklift little spinners. <laughs> He's got plenty of forklifts on his fleet. Yeah, there's a team that there's a team that are underperforming at the moment. Well, Unfortunately, of- I, you know, again, we think that. Charlie's so enthusiastic. I mean, he really is keen, but they're not sort of doing much. But Ford teams, I, I sat there over the weekend and I watched those results and it was it was Chevy Gold and every now and again yeah. you'd see a blue number and be more Chevy Gold and then it'd be more blue numbers. I mean, they just weren't there. Will Davo showed some signs in the, I think, the second race or yep. the third race. But again, it's it's how hard do they have to drive to yeah. do it? And they're, they're just not coping with it. The car's not coping. So what is it? What is it, guys? Is it the engine? Is it the way they built the cars? All right, so let's get into it. So what they tried in the first practice session of the weekend was that they had three different Ford engine maps they were running in the cars. So they had uh, the Perth map, then they had what they called the V2L, which was obviously V version two, which is Perth Launceston. And then they had a proposed map for Darwin. The three Fords that were at the top of the field all had the V3 in it. And then the V3 wasn't allowed to be used for the rest of the weekend. So and, they switched back to the V2. And out. they didn't know that either, did they? No. That was a blind test. Yep, blind test. No one knew what they had in so their who car. So who were the four? So the cars that did the best with the engine map weren't allowed to use that engine map. Correct. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Everybody's complaining about them not being fast enough. But the one that was going to make them fast. They didn't know at that stage. So what session did they use that V3 engine map? First practice, P1. So the um, I think it was um, Courtney and Will Davison and uh, one of the other ones. Uh, I can't remember. I, I think of what it tells us now. That's our it's an issue. Fourth different track we've been to. Uh, I think we can pretty much safely say now that you know across all t- different tight street circuits, open flowing circuits of the Grand Prix, Perth, which has got 
medium to high speed corners, yep. slow corners, drive off turns, and then Simmons Plains, which is very tight corners and fast corners and long straights. It's Chevy. There's no yeah. disputing. I'm not convinced now that Cam isn't up for the fight, but I think you're right. I think he's probably overdriving. He's making. He's as a result of that, he's making mistakes, yeah. and understandably. And and he's impatient. Like the the incidents with the two shell cars was he he knew he had he had one chance to get through there and do it, and uh, and they just got in the way. They were too slow for him. Okay, enough parody. Let's uh, talk well, about the fact. Oh, one on. last thing on parody. Well, hang on. Finish this sentence for me. When Jack Smith can pass David Reynolds. David Reynolds is having a bad day. Or David Reynolds is having the worst day of his life. Come on, Bruce. <laughs> or <laughs> or the Chev is a lot faster than the Mustang. There we go. Jack went all right there, though. He went well in Simmons Plains last year, too. Yeah. So, anyway. Not many corners, though, Bruce. Uh, look, to be honest, I think that doesn't necessarily make it easier. One thing we need to do, we can't take away from the, from the results of Erebus. Oh, absolutely. Amazing job. Yep. Again. And um, Triple Eight, obviously, with Brock and Shane. It just proves with all the other teams on the on the track, apart from Triple Eight, basically, they all go up and down. They bounce up and down like a yo-yo, and Erebus are there or thereabouts every single session and yep. every race. There is no doubt that Erebus is doing the best job in the game at the moment. Like They're consistent. They're doing everything right. Their drivers are performing on the track. Their engineers are working. Um, and as you said to me today, Bruce, what's the reason? It's teamwork. You know, I think it's something we've lost sight of a little bit. If you go to the football, whether it's rugby or soccer or Aussie rules, you know, one of the guys kicks a goal, the other team members roan up and they touch them on the bottom and they lick their ears (laughs) and they do all sorts of beautiful, warm and embracing stuff because they're a team. And that's something that I've now noticed very much with Erebus. You see Brody and Will patting each other on the bottom. Well, they might pat each other on the bottom. <laughs> well, not just that. What, are, what about the, one of them shuffling shuffling the, the, the blokes behind back to let his mates through and then block the other bloke? But, it, but it's true teamwork. And the thing about it is now, it's something we lose sight of in motorsport. Those two guys couldn't do the job they're doing on the track if it wasn't for the for the great work the pits their pit crew are doing in the, in the pit lane and in the garage and with Barry running the team. I'm starting to realise just how critical a good team is. There are other teams up and down the pit lane that aren't scoring that result. These guys are, are like a football team. To them, it doesn't matter whether Brody wins or, or Will wins. It's the team that's winning, and that's the vibe you're getting from them. Remember, it was only 18 months ago that every time an Erebus car came into the pit lane, you wondered if whether it was going to leave with three <laughs> wheels or four. And look, they have knuckled down. They've got a bloody good car. They've got two gun drivers, and they've got a setup that works pretty much everywhere, and the team is working. If you, if you take that to the other extreme, you've got BJR, who yet again proved that they've got unbelievably good pit stop strategy and great operators. I mean, they managed to get Andre to let Frank uh, Cam Waters in one of the pit stops and got him on the podium. So again, I think we're missing something a little bit. It really is a team sport and we need to embrace the team culture. And um, I think Erebus are obviously doing a good. Triple Eight have had it for a while, but I don't think there's the same synergy between the two sides of the garages. At, uh, well, there is there. none at most of the teams. I'll tell you the other good thing, though, Bruce, if, if we, we can bring this off, uh, we might be able to get Neville to help us write some team songs. Like a thing, <laughs> they, could, they get around after the games and sing the song together. That's a good idea, PG. You haven't had, much to say. You haven't had a lot to say tonight, but every one of your little comments hasn't been a bad one. <laughs> well, you know.
All right, so we know Erebus is doing a great job. We know Triple H is doing a good job, but not as good as Erebus because we're seeing Van Gisbergen's a bit up and down. Brock Feeney's pretty consistent on Sundays. He's now given himself the tag of Mr. Sunday. I like that. He's managed to give himself his own nickname. Imagine what nickname Gisbergen to give himself. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we. I don't. Think, I think we can come up with one. Have you listened to the inboard chat with Brock after he wins a race? He gives himself a bit of a. He gives himself a bit of a pat on the back. <laughs> I think he says something. I might be wrong, but he says the boy's done good. And I, do, I don't think it was the boys as in the rest. I think it was. I think he was talking to himself. I think so. I think so. Anyway, good luck to the kid. Doing a great job. We talked about this earlier in the year. Success breeds success. We've seen it now with Will. Those three guys now they've got the tape. They know how to win, and they're doing it consistently. And if you take those three young kids out of the equation, I don't think anyone else has apart from Shane's won a race. Correct. And importantly, Bruce. Brock Feeney did it without Jamie Wincup, without Jess, and without Roland Dane there on the weekend. How no. long since we've had neither of them at a racetrack, do you I, reckon? I don't know, but uh, I did notice that. It was uh, it was an interesting. I think Roland's uh, off on a little holiday to um, the south of France or England. Haven't had a phone call from him for a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> so I assume he's travelling. Then again, we haven't really had anything too controversial to say in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. So. And Jamie was, off, Jamie was off at Nürburgring? Oh, right, okay. And where was Jess? I have no idea. Okay. Anyway. Ask Shane. He might know. <laughs> we talked about the young guys. Um, the combined age of the podium on like, the last race on Sunday um, was less than Paul Gober's age. Gee. Um, pretty impressive, isn't what, it? What, 72? <laughs> oh. Are we seeing, are we seeing a, a change in the sport that we can expect to be long-lasting? Or will we see some of the older guys bouncing back, do you think? I think it's interesting. I think those young kids without too much muscle memory and, and enthusiasm and the ability to just get on with stuff like we all did when we were kids, um, I think it's having an impact. I think it's now it's starting to tell that maybe some of the older guys and, you know, it, it, it's just a reality. Maybe they're just not as enthusiastic and maybe they, you know, they're just not as comfortable and these kids just don't care. They just get Yeah, but with... it's also the old blokes have got lots of old habits, Bruce. You know what I mean? Like That's what I'm talking about. They haven't... They're all in love with the with the old style of car and yep. and they are not adjusting, whereas the other blokes don't know what they don't know. Oh, that's exactly right. I agree with you 100%. That's what I, that was the point I was yeah, trying yeah. to make. These guys are just out there having fun. They're ragging it around. The cars are not as nice or as easy to drive and they're just getting on with it. And uh, and and when you think about it, James Courtney, who's also doing not a bad job, ha- is a the sort of bloke who just wants to rag it and get on with it. Um, the blokes who rely a lot on data and engineers to tell them what to do and how to do it, they're the ones who are struggling, in my opinion. And I think the other thing is, too, these cars now in their, in their early configuration and maybe the, more so with the Mustang, they really don't like being been driven on the edge they 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 seem to get their tires worked up pretty quick i mean if you look at shane's attack on um on uh brody i think it was in the last race yep. you know he was on 10 10 lap older tires he had speed got past brody brody was complaining about his tire or his car being so slow and yet in the space of a couple of laps because svg had pushed the car to the limit it just fell off a cliff and 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 uh the big fella was able to get past and press on and get back on the podium again. Yeah, he wasn't slow at all. He was just slow relative to that one car. <laughs> His times were fine. No, they weren't really. At one stage there, they were they were talking about it. He was like 
second, third, fourth last yeah. for quite a few laps. Yeah, in terms of lap speed. Yeah, in terms well of lap speed. Yeah. But uh, so look, I think that's part of the problem. These guys have the, with lots of experience that that like really nice cars that probably were really good at the day, in the day of setting up the car, so it was perfect. These cars don't. I don't well, think they work like that. Well, yeah, because you're not going to get perfection out of them, are you? We know that they they're harder to drive. No they aero. move around. They bounce. They do all sorts of things. So, you know, as you say, it's it's probably these young guys are just out there. They're enthusiastic. They've got all the drive and the motivation, uh, and they've also got this. I don't care about you factor. But they, it's also their career on the line. Yeah, a lot of the midfield blokes are getting paid good money to turn up and do nice PR jobs and things, and they're really good at that sort of stuff. Whereas the young blokes know. If you have a bad year in the, in one of the second cars, could be your last year. Well, I think that supercars, I mean, we talked to um, Mr. Nettifold about this a few weeks ago. I think they need to grab these two uh, Erebus boys and Brock and maybe one or two of the other young kids and really start to ramp their exposure up and get them involved. It was quite interesting. There was a couple of cute things they did on the TV. They did some quirky things, like they got the two Erebus boys out in the car park with the with the parking attendants' um, jackets on. It was actually pretty amusing. They got involved, and I reckon that's what was interesting. A couple of the really young school kids didn't fall for the trap. They worked out they were racing car drivers. So that was a good sign. Yeah. Well, I think there was the other good sign, if we're talking about like the strength of the sport, was that um, on the Sunday there were lots of people walking around the paddock with Hawthorne jackets on and Hawthorne wind cheaters and things, they hadn't gone to the football. They came to the car racing instead of the football, even though they're you know they're Hawthorne supporters. Car racing strong in that state. Hawthorne, and yet if they'd gone to the football, they would have seen a record, almost a record score against the buddy the West Coast Eagles. I mean, what I the, it's any wonder they didn't want to go. <laughs> Every time I looked at it, I couldn't believe it, the scores because. Uh, I think there's parody in AFL. Do you think the AFL got a parody issue? I think yeah. I'll be editing this out, but keep going. <laughs> yes, there is a parody. No, we'll leave it in. It's good. You're not going to get into parody of AFL. There is parody in AFL. There has to be, because if you go really crap one year, you get extra draft picks. Hey, when was the, tell me the last time a, a supercars team fired the team director, hey? So, so this is one of my things, guys, is that, you know, when they set the pit lane order at the end of the year yeah. and the best team gets the best spot, I reckon they need to turn it around. The best team gets the worst spot. I think you're probably right there. I think they need to give the those suffering fools at the back of the field a little bit of a bit of a leg no, up. Well, I like the idea of changing it, changing it based on what your current position in the championship is. Yeah, but I think it should be around the other way. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but, but it should be real time. Yeah, no, I like the idea of week in, week out, absolutely. And we can do it. It's not They're easy. all getting all sniffy and horrible because we won't know where to park our trucks. Okay, so yeah. what was your takeaway right. from so the weekend, Andrew? My takeaway from the weekend, um, we, we still have a massive parity issue, clearly. Um, I think the Erebus guys are just doing an amazing job and uh, they're going to be really hard to beat in this championship. And Brock Feeney is, is emerging so fast in front of our eyes that um, we could be seeing the next Jamie Wincup coming. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Can't we have some more personality? I mean, Jamie's a nice bloke, but really we need uh, young Feeney to be more like his dad who was just a rebel on a motorbike when he was back in the superbike. <laughs> you know what we need? We need a modern-day version of James Hunt Absolutely. in the pits. <laughs> Everybody needs a James Hunt. Somebody that could come back down to Tasmania and next time he raced yeah. down there have some more children to visit. Who impressed me the most on the weekend was Cam Hill. Yes, he was good. 
for but, a young guy in a Matt Stone racing car, like he was up there and he was mixing it and he did a really good job. But you keep saying in a Matt Stone car, but isn't it really a triple eight car? No, they're not. Uh, they build their own cars. They build their own cars. You said year. that last week and I nearly meant to give you a clip oh, well, for it. Hey, do I get the whack of the week? No, no, no. I saved that for special <laughs> occasions. Um, and Jack LeBrock, you know, I'm really like this new sort of NASCAR-y arsehole look that he's got going, yeah. the shaved head, the beard. And look, <laughs> I'm, I'm for, for Jack, I'm really pleased now that he's starting to, to uh, get going because he was one of those guys that probably – he got moved along a couple of times. He probably struggled. Uh, maybe he was inconsistent. He wasn't in a good place. Mm. He seems to, Matt Stone seems to be the place. They had faith in him and they've kept him in his, his delivering. Good on him. Yeah, no, I was, they were they were the ones that impressed me the most over the weekend in terms of their their step up and their evolution. So Davey really didn't impressed. have a very good weekend, did he? No, Davey had a tough weekend. But you know, um, we were talking about they, they're breaking something on their gear stick um, and somehow it breaks in between sessions. Maybe they need to get a welder. No, it's a control part, Bruce. They're getting broken as the drivers are getting out of the car. Right. And this has been pointed out to them on numerous occasions. They're the only team to have broken this same component four times now. Sorry, somebody else did break it, but they knew what happened because it was Van Gisbergen and his air hose got caught on the gear stick and broke this little bit off it. And that raised another point. Is it only Davey or has Payne broken one as well? Uh, I didn't actually ask that question, but um, four times it's happened at, at Penrite. So I think it's Davey most of the time. So it's something about getting in and out of the car. Interesting. I think uh, that's going to highlight. I think we need to get Davey on uh, on an episode of this to explain this. Yes. Why, what's wrong with Davey's legs? <laughs> Once he works out what's yep, going on. Yep. And, and if this is the case, he'll be the first retirement at Bathurst. You'll get out or in for the first driver's change and that'll be it. Whack, broken gear lever. <laughs> They might have worked it out by then. There's going to be a lot of problems with guys getting in there. Some of these guys now have to have their heads guided in. Yeah. These cockpits are ridiculous. I was watching Van Gisbergen get in because, you know, how they, uh, they fixed his car an amazing amount of time. Like, from that crash, it was a big one. He didn't roll out. He didn't get in the car until the cars were rolling out onto the grid. But when he gets in the car, he stands up there and dives himself in feet first. Yeah, that's probably not a bad thing. That's why no. I used to get in the Oz car yeah. that way too. Yeah, Brody kind of folds himself up and gets in with somebody holding his yeah, head like, yeah, he, like yeah. he's getting arrested in the back of a police car. Yeah, <laughs> those young guys are more busy. It tells you how well they designed the cars, didn't they? Like, did they bother to get a driver in when they were doing the original roll cages? Like, I oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, break your love for with uh, that other end of the world. But Triple Eight were pretty much responsible for doing the architecture design of those cars. I know, that's why they have a big driver. Have a big driver that they could have got in. To, hey, mate, you want to jump in here and see if this is all right? <laughs> I think you'll find he was probably back in New Zealand doing other things. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Anyway, the other thing All too, right. he did have a swipe straight after he stuck it in the fence about the fact that these things don't crash very well, and he proved that, didn't he? Yeah, but he was a big hit though, much bigger hit than we thought. But yes, they don't crash well. We saw that. We saw it a couple of times. Brody's Brody's bent quite badly when he hit the wall. We do, we do know they're not bendable yet. Split qualifying is the one thing I want to touch on before we move off Simmons Plains. Um, it's chaotic, isn't it? That, 10, 15-minute session. It's not chaotic. It's just plain stupid and dangerous. And somebody's going to take somebody out. Yep. In, in Formula 1, they have a rule that they have a minimum yeah. They have a minimum lap speed. Time. No, it's a minimum percentage lap time, Bruce. Well, they have it in supercars as well. It's 107%. Though. Well, Everybody's whatever it is that they weren't. No, no, that's a qualifying thing. No, there's a minimum time 
that you minimum lap time and average speed you must maintain during a during a, well they're obviously not enforcing it oh, because right. there's yeah, no in. way yeah. that if supercars are no ready, they don't have that it's okay. a Monza well, thing wasn't it? It, in. it was brought in for Monza yeah correct remember a few years ago they tried um, having split sessions they so say you had to qualify if your practice time was was good you got through and and the bottom fifteen had to practice had to get through and then they dropped people off and did a funny little session like that but. They've got to find a solution to it because you can't have them coming out of pit lane like they did and not expect to have dramas. No, you're right. And as PG says, it's unsafe. Fair enough. Get Motorsport Australia onto it. They're all about safety. Oh, they'll do a bloody good report on it, yeah, won't they? absolutely. It'll be ready by the back end of 2024. And it won't be looked at. <laughs> all right, let's move on. So let's quickly, before we jump off, it's Brady Kostecki from Will Brown in the championship. There's 87 points between them. So Will Brown is jumping up fast. Chaz Mostert's dropping a little bit. Shane Van Gisbergen's fourth and Brock Feeney's fifth. Cam Waters is in sixth. Coca-Cola racing by Erebus is leading the team's championship from Red Bull Racing and Tickford's jumped up into the uh, into the top five. Two, week, two races ago, they weren't even there. So that's all we're going to talk about with the points and we'll move on. We'll have a quick break. All right, welcome back to the Rev Limiter. We're going to talk about Formula One now. It Good. got washed out and there was no yeah, race. Finished. Yeah, fair enough. Move on. But Monaco's <laughs> on this weekend. The Monaco Grand Prix on. They're going to be racing around the streets of Monaco. Yes. <laughs> Great, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's probably the worst track of all for Formula One racing, but no. it's the most prestigious. No, it's the best track of all. Sensational. You actually, there are actually consequences. You make a mistake there. Well, what, about, what about Schumacher snapping his car in half? When you make a mistake there, you really cock it up, don't you? That was the second time he snapped it in half. Yes. No, no, there are certainly consequences, but um, they don't get very good racing there. Anyway, let's move on. Indy 500 qualifying. Bruce told me he hasn't really paid much attention yet, so I'll tell you now. Alex Palau was on pole uh, from Rina's VK and Felix Rosenquist on the front row with him, which I thought... Aren't those three big names in world motorsport? Like, okay, I know Palau's won a championship, but honestly, who's ever heard of any of them? What I thought was more interesting was that Palau had the... The record qualifying speed, 234 miles an hour average. What's that in Ks? Far too many for me to work out. About 400. That's average. average Don't confuse my lack of information about this event for my lack of interest in the race because it is one of the greatest motorsport events. It's probably one of the greatest sporting events of all times. I mean, it's certainly the biggest one event crowd you will ever get. It is the biggest single day sporting event in the world. What's quite bizarre about the, the Indy 500 is the ability for people to who don't normally compete even in the IndyCar Championship in a regular basis can win the race. Yeah. I mean, AJ Foyt recently was talking about the fact that he thinks he's in, in, a, in with a chance with a couple of his drivers. <laughs> what you saying? Yeah, not him. <laughs> he famously got out of his car once and attacked it with a hammer. Well, Helio Castroneves won it last year, didn't he? Was it? 20th. Yeah, but um, yeah, he wasn't a regular driver and he's, no, he's, and, he's come up and, and knocked it off. And I think that it's one of those races where it's been won and lost on the last lap, a 500-mile race yeah. that can be can be lost literally on the last corner. So it is a wonderful race. It's great to be able to, you know, we've, we've got our, um, our, uh, our guys in there, and I say our guys, you know, Will and and Scott and, Scott, um, and Scotty. Scott. Yep. So we got Scotts and Will. Scott Dixon's in P six. Will Powers in P twelve, and Scott McLaughlin's P fourteen. Oh well, you can win it from there. Absolutely, you can. You just got to grow on the way. But most importantly, the best name in motor racing is in thirty second spot. I saw that. Stingray Rob is his yep. name. What's and his name? 
Stingray Rob. Yep. And his real name is Stingray on his birth certificate. Yeah, yeah he's not like one of these rap artists who changed their names <laughs> to, you know, Quack Quack I'm a Duck. You know, <laughs> his parents actually chose that name for him. It's, it's a classic. I think it's great. I'm, I'm going to try and buy a Stingray Rob T-shirt somewhere. I'm going to be... I'll be in for one of those as well. Get the same size you wear, Andrew. I'll see what they're selling in Chicago. Anyway, Indy 500 this weekend, Monaco this weekend as well. So it's a, it's a big night if we're into car racing, Absolutely. isn't it? And the uh, world, the NASCAR race is on. Is By the World 600, yeah. World 600's on as well, I think. Charlotte. Big yeah. night in front of us all. Mm, big weekend. Um, other motorsport news, Yossi racing cars. Bruce, you loved what you saw in yeah, Tassie. It was good. It's funny, you know, they, they don't disappoint. That track really lends itself to um, close racing. It's not the widest track on there, but they still manage to go four wide, three wide, four wide. I actually sat and watched all of their races on the weekend and I really enjoyed it. There's some really great drivers in there, some young guys, some older ones. I think there's half a dozen Quinns racing. I'm not sure <laughs> how many of them are uncles or cousins or nephews or grandchildren. I'm not sure, but they were all out there giving the other competitors a hard time. No, it's just good, good, good hard racing. Well, I think it's a good class, the Aussie racing cars. It always puts on a show. Yeah, and it's a fun. I've, I've had a race in one of them. They're good fun. How'd you go? I, I was eight. How many were in the field? Uh, Nine? <laughs> Brucey. 30-something. 30, 30 it was at the Australian Grand Prix. They are just fun, even if, unlike Greg Rust, my steering wheel didn't come off in my hands. <laughs> Porsche, uh, Ronan Murphy really? got his first race win. Yeah, good on him. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Greg Murphy's son. Looks like his father. Hope he's got a better temper than his oh, father. No. <laughs> Looks like he. No, no, we need some more people with tempers like that. Oh, we do, don't we? Looks like his father. He was always entertaining, Murph, wasn't he? Yeah. I used to, back in the day, I used to have a Dummy Spit of the Year award, and I think he won it about. 23 years in a row. The only time he didn't was, you remember little Max who used to drive for DJR, Maxie Wilson? Oh, yes. And then he went and drove for uh, Craig yeah, Gore. Maxie had the best dummy spit ever. He went out the back of the garage when he was at DJR. He was so angry, he punched the trailer, the back of the trailer, and broke all his knuckle. Yeah. <laughs> and that's better than Murph's ever done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so PG, talk me through the rally on the weekend, Australian Rally well, Championship. What's really interesting is that none of the Bateses didn't win. What's really good is that the category has got a whole lot of modern cars in it, and it's the first time in a very long time we've seen that. Okay, so the Bateses are a Toyota factory team. They put in money and stuff, but the fastest cars in that championship now are actually the Skodas. And uh, you might remember Alex Rulo from Supercars. He's now driving a Skoda in the Australian Rally Championship and he's quite competitive. So maybe the Rally Championship is not so much of a foregone conclusion as it was a little while ago. So it's on a bit of an upswing, do you think, rallying in Australia? Yeah, yeah. They, the top 15 cars in the championship now are good cars. They're not just blokes who pulled something out of the shed and hosed it down and took it out for a rally. It's actually professional stuff. And the other thing is there are a couple of teams out there. Um, there's a team called Race Talk out of Perth who used to be the factory Asia-Pacific team for Skoda, and they're running Skodas for um, for people in Australia. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Toyota is always the team to beat um, because the Bates has been around for a long time. But interestingly, this week I got some notifications for it. It's the 50th uh, birthday for Subaru in Australia. Um None of us can remember, even I can't remember the original Subarus, which were horrible and ugly and dreadful and appalling. Um, and that's uh, <laughs> that's being kind to them. But um, they've done more, I think, than any other company for rallying in Australia. They did a one-make series with the RX. Remember that? A horrible, ugly-looking yep. thing that had the 
it was the first four-wheel drive car to dominate the Australian Rally Championship. Then they had one make series. They had all those years with Possum Bourne and Cody Crocker. Um, yeah, so maybe some things are finally starting to go on the upswing for the Australian Rally Championship. And so Nathan Quinn won on the weekend. Is he related to the other Quins? Uh, no. No, not the Quins that you're thinking of. He, his father used to drive a Mazda RX-2 rotary-powered car and, and was very fast uh, and very spectacular. But no, he's actually in, he's won the Australian Championship and driven um, a number of pretty good cars over the years in Rally Australia. And that's beautiful. And because we remember these things, that's for the bloke who uh, had a whack at us last year on Facebook who said we didn't cover rallying enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wax, I reckon we're done for the main content here. Bruce? Get ready, boys and girls, because it's Bruce's Whack of the Week. Um, look, this is really probably a, it's not really much of a whack, but I'm constantly amazed at the feedback that I get from people who say, oh, you know, we struggle to get any coverage. Well, a classic example is, is recently we've been on the um, search to give, make sure that we give all our national coverage categories plenty of coverage. And we have situations where some of the state rally championships, for example, it is impossible to get information from them. It's almost like they don't want to to give you information or media releases and all that sort of stuff. And that's extremely frustrating. But another recently a thing I noticed, and it only became apparent because one of my sponsors had a go at me because we didn't give them uh, any coverage, but there was a brand new car came into the country the other day for the TCR series. And there was no media, there was no announcement, there was no nothing. And when I questioned them, it was just, oh, but we put it on our Facebook page. Seriously, guys, you people out there who've got sponsors, you need to get off your backsides and make sure you communicate to all of the motorsport media because we're the only ones that are interested. I just find it deplorable these days how many categories, categories are just as criminal for this, uh, and individuals and race teams that don't communicate with the media because at the end of the day, the only way you're going to get your message across outside of your own Facebook page with your 12 followers (laughs) who all like it, is to um, that includes your mum and your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so come and come and talk to us, and we'll get you to seventy five thousand people. Well, I mean, you know, like Auto Action's got eighty thousand Facebook pages so, per followers. So even yeah. if we uh, sent your message out to just those people, but the reality is, I just find it amusing when, on one hand, you get these people whinging that they can't get any coverage, and then on the other hand, when you ring them up or you finally track them down, they go. Oh, we'd like to give you events and cover. Oh, no worries. Well, it's on our Facebook page if you want to have a look for it. Yeah, bad luck, mate. Whack. Get off your <laughs> backside, you fools. No. Communicate. You've got sponsors for your series and your events, and if you want to give them exposure and keep those sponsors, tell the world what's going on. Now, one of my great pleasures over the weekend was catching up with Barry Oliver again. So he was uh, hanging around at Simmons Plains and... Uh, He's got a couple of little things for us to follow up this week on Targa Tasmania, Bruce. Has he? Mm, the ongoing saga. The ongoing of, saga of Targa. Yes, the <laughs> ongoing saga of Targa. Anyway, there's a couple of things we'll sniff it out. We'll put it in next week's magazine. And don't forget, 
great ma- of all these people that want to know about what's going on at Erebus and with Brody Kostecki, we've also got that great oh. feature that you wrote, Andrew, in the uh, current issue of Auto Agent. Still there. Get I out think, and grab it. Yep. I think we've had to do a Will Brown feature so we know who he is. So. I think we better get off Erebus and find somebody else. To anyway, thanks. Somebody guys. do something we'll talk to write about something else in Supercars. Exactly. I, sorry, I was dreaming that a Mustang was going to win a race. So it was a, a dream, wasn't it? It was then a dream. You woke up, I was, and there they were, one of them in the top ten. Bye-bye. I was dreaming <laughs> that we'd get a Mustang on the cover so I could... Imagine the cover when a Mustang does that. Oh, I've already got the headline worked out, at last. <laughs> uh, PG, thanks for your time. Always fun. I don't always say a lot, but I try and make it worthwhile. Well, it's quantity, not quality. Oh, hang on, the other way around. <laughs> Bruce, he's on quantity. Quantity. Are you saying that what I deliver might be, there's plenty of it, but it's not very good. So thanks for your time again, Bruce. And, thanks, um, Andrew. Thanks, thanks Neville. Neville, for thanks pushing me, your buttons. And good. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build up to the 1000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.